When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm currently at the Academy of Sciences in San Francisco, and I was just handed a wet, slimy lump of ugly. And I say ugly in the most endearing way, because it was probably the prettiest ugly thing I've ever seen, but so fascinating. What is it, you ask, that I was holding, and now that I'm looking at from a respectful distance? It was an anglerfish that is basically all head. They have these huge, fearsome jaws with translucent teeth, and those little dangly things that help them catch their prey. I am in awe. She's fierce, she's beautiful, and she's perfectly adapted to her environment, which is super deep in the ocean. And when I look over this anglerfish, I see little lumps, and I have absolutely no idea what they are. They kind of look like tumors, but maybe there's something from being preserved. I was talking to the woman who was showing us the anglerfish, and she taught us that these little lumps are actually males. Yes, these lumps are not tumors, but they're parasitic males that are just hanging on this female anglerfish. And you know what? If you know anything about me, you know that I have to learn more about this. So let's talk about it, shall we? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Little Curiosities. I'm your host, Kendall Long. You might know me from a show called The Bachelor, where I was on a quest to find love. But with this podcast, it's completely different. I am on a quest for knowledge. You may remember that I was the weird taxidermy girl, but the reason why I was the weird taxidermy girl is because I collect things that inspire me. And what inspires me is zoology, entomology, science, and everything the natural world has to offer. And this podcast is basically everything that I'm interested in. Little curiosities that I find throughout the day that inspire me and make me think, I need to know more about that. Like I said in the beginning of this podcast, we are talking about sexual dimorphism. It sounds like a crazy word, but basically it breaks down to the differences between males and females in the animal kingdom. And sometimes there's big differences, like a lot of the animals we're going to be talking about today. And sometimes they're not so different. Humans are an example of that. We're not extremely sexually dimorphic. But I will tell you later in this episode how we are maybe more sexually dimorphic than you ever could have expected. In today's podcast, we are going to be talking about parasitic gonad males, birds of paradise with their fancy outfits and dance moves, and blubbery elephant seals, which have a very soft place in my heart. Before we start the episode and get to all the juicy research, I did take to Instagram and I asked my followers about sexual dimorphism. Are there any examples that you know of? What do you think of when you think of sexual dimorphism? And I have some very interesting answers I will read to you right now. One listener says, Cardinals, males get all the brilliant color, which seems backwards to me. Yes, I agree. Why do males have all the beautiful colors? Surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, in the animal kingdom, this does tend to be the case. And I do think it's odd that humans associate plumage and beauty and color with female. It's mainly because in our society, females do tend to be the more showy of the sexes. But 
I'm telling you, out in nature, males are the ones running the show in fashion. And I talk so much about why bird plumage is the way that it is. I'm so excited to tell you a little bit more about that later in the episode. But let's get to another one of these comments. Another listener said, Elephant seals, the males get that super ugly nose. The females are kind of cute. I don't think that nose is ugly. Okay, it is a little bit out there. Elephant seals have that trunk-like nose. And there is a reason behind it. There's a reason why they have this big trunk-like nose. I'll get to it a little bit later in this episode as well. KM Tips said, Most of my favorite animals are mammals, and mammal males tend to be bigger than females. That's true. Mammal males do tend to be bigger than females, but not all species have bigger males. And I do get to that a little bit later in the episode, talking about certain species where the female is actually bigger than the male. So stay tuned for that. I love when you send me things that spark your curiosity because it makes me think, you're right. Why is that the way that it is? And then I add it in my episode. So in that way, we can kind of work together with our curiosity to solve some of these mysteries that spark our interest. I got most of my information for this episode from a book I cannot recommend highly enough. It's called Odd Couples, Extraordinary Differences Between the Sexes in the Animal Kingdom by Daphne J. Fairbairn. S-A-I-R-B-A-I-R-N. Sorry if I butchered that. I love this book. Highly recommend you go check it out. When I tell you I couldn't put this book down, I just took all that juicy knowledge and I put it in this episode to share with you. So just know that that was my main source when it came to stockpiling all this amazing information. Snag yourself a copy. You will not regret it. The definition of sexual dimorphism is distinct differences in size or appearance between the sexes of an animal in addition to the sexual organs themselves. So it's not just external, it's also internally different that males and females differ in certain species. Sexual dimorphism is one of my favorite things to research. I find it fascinating. The differences between males and females in one species, they're the same species, but sometimes you would have no idea that they are related. The first animals that I think of when I think of sexual dimorphism have to be birds of paradise. They are so different. The males are so colorful. They have these dances. They vary greatly between different species. And I know you guys have seen the documentary on Netflix, Dancing with the Birds. They crack me up because they're so enthusiastic about their little dances. And one of the birds that really stood out the most to me was the greater Lofarina aka superb bird of paradise and boy are these little fellas superb because during their mating courtship dance they spread out their cape feathers and they form this fan above their head and it looks like an oval a pure black oval their feathers are actually the blackest pigmented feathers in the world so it's almost as if you're looking into a hole that never ends the only other thing you can see in this black void is a blue chest plate with blue eyes. So it looks like a frowny face, basically, a blue frowny face. And because of this, some people call it the psychedelic smiley face. It really doesn't look like it's smiling to me, but you should definitely look it up and tell me what you think. Is it smiling, frowning, or is it just like, meh? I don't have any emotion. I'm just here to get laid <laughs> because this bird is definitely trying to get some action. And it's so crazy to see how evolution has changed this species to be so unique looking. It just blows my mind. Why are males so different? 
With birds especially, you can owe it all to sexual selection. Their exotic plumage and dances are owed to the subtle power of females choosing mates over millions and millions of years, and also geographic isolation. But really, it's all to do with the female. She's like, hey, I think those feathers look better, therefore I will mate with you. And then that look passes on to their children, so on and so forth, so much so that the male looks completely different. After many generations of choosiness with the females, this means that the female is in the evolutionary driver's seat. She is the one calling the shots. Females have preferences for male beauty, and that trumps all other things, all other survival traits. Their flying ability, their inconspicuousness from predators, their thermoregulation. They chose looks over survival. So the bird of paradise males are physical manifestations of the female's preference. They really get to choose what these males look like at the end of the day, which I'm like, hey, go female. You know, humans also show preferences for visual appeal way over function as well. It's not just the birds that are doing this. An example is why do we wear high heel shoes, have these crazy phone cases, those elaborate long nails that make it so it's impossible to text on your phone and designer purses. I mean, you can carry things to and fro without having it be really elaborate and colorful. We are not that far away from the female birds when it comes to aesthetics over function. If we chose function over the aesthetic appeal, we wouldn't have the wide variety of colors, shapes, and styles that we have today. And that's what makes life really interesting. You know, all those different shapes and styles. Same thing with the birds. It's what makes them so beautiful. I myself just got a pair of bright green high-waisted pants, and it wasn't because of function. I wasn't like, I need these high-waisted green pants to hide in the wild because I'm trying to camouflage myself in the trees. They are much too bright for that. I did it for aesthetic purposes, and I do not regret it. They will not be a return item. So in a way, the bird of paradise's over-the-top, colorful, elaborate plumage is similar to my green pants. They're not trying to hide from anything. They're trying to stand out. And like I said earlier, this takes millions of years to develop. The males didn't just wake up one day and bam, they were killing it. They were killing the style game. They were ready to flex all their fashion. No, this was after sexual selection for many, many years, many, many generations. And now you have it where they're so different, you couldn't even tell that the male and female were a part of the same species. Females are the ones doing all the looking, right? So I was curious, how much do they look? How much do these female birds oogle at other males? And <laughs> I was cracking up because they look at other males a lot. A long-term field study in the 1980s found that the female birds visited displaying males up to six weeks before and six weeks after mating. This wasn't when they were having babies. They just wanted to look to look. Birds of Paradise females have been observed watching males' displays for five to six hours a day. That's a lot of observation. If human females were like that, that would be like going to the gym and watching men work out for five to six hours a day. Kind of creepy. Kind of creepy birds, but I appreciate your game. There's no shame in that. <laughs> Another birdie example of sexual dimorphism is the peacock. I think that's what we think about when we think of male displays, is the male peacock with his green and blue feathers that just jet out like a fan. Absolutely gorgeous. The female, on the other hand, is very muted. You know, it does help her with camouflage. But other than that, she's not really putting any extra work out there. The male is the one doing most of that 
visual display of beauty. Technically, only male birds of this species are peacocks. That's where you get the phrase peacocking. Females are peahens, and together they make peafowl. I can hear you asking, my ears are burning, why are the males more colorful? Why are females not the ones that are colorful? And of course, it's to attract females, but why? Some scientists think that males that are really brightly colored and have avoided predators shows their physical fitness. They're like, hey, despite me being this bright, crazy bird, not blending into my environment at all, I have survived. With this handicap of crazy standout-ishness, I have come out on top. I have not been eaten. And that means I have good genes. So a female bird would look at this and say, hey, you have avoided being caught despite looking like a bullseye in the middle of a green forest. Good for you. I will mate with you. I also hear that bright colors can help distract predators and keep them away from the nest. It makes sense. If there is a male and female, they're both guarding the nest and a predator comes, they want to make sure that predator doesn't eat their babies. The male with his bright colors can have the predator chase him away. And there are other examples of this with birds. When a pair of birds sees that there is a predator by their nest, one of them will actually distract the predator by pretending to be injured or faking their death. So that way the predator is like, ooh, there's an easy meal. I will go for that and not eat the babies. It's not out of the question to think that the reason why a bright colored bird is so desirable is because they're the target, not the little innocent babies. While I was researching sexual dimorphism in birds, I was shocked to find that it's not only visually sexually dimorphic. There are some bird species that actually have non-visual sexual dimorphism, and it has to do with their singing abilities. In passerine birds, which are songbirds, the males are the only ones that sing, such as the zebra finch, in which the males sing, whereas the females do not. And this also happens in many tropical bird species. However, sometimes females sing as well. And you're probably thinking the same thing I'm thinking. Why the heck do all the males have all the fun stuff when it comes to birds? Right? Like, males are the ones that have the decorative plumage. They're the ones that sing. It sounds like they just want to have their own Vegas show. And quite frankly, I'll let them. The females are the ones that are doing all the selecting. So maybe they have it better. But come on, these guys, they can start a one-man band. If you're thinking, yeah, yeah, birds are cool and all, but in the beginning of this episode, you talked about anglerfish. Well, now is the time to talk about this beautifully ugly female goblin of the deep, the anglerfish. They are just fascinating. The more I learn about them, the more I love them to death, despite their rough exterior. The females are usually around one foot in length. They have a huge head with a large crescent-shaped moon mouth filled with sharp translucent teeth. <laughs> if you don't think that's beautiful enough, their mouths are so big and flexible, they can gobble up prey two times their size. Kind of like a big boa constrictor that can just put its mouth over a huge piece of prey. The females also have a lure, which is a piece of dorsal fin that hangs from the top of their head over its mouth, kind of like a fishing pole, and that's what it does. It is like a literal fishing pole that it puts right above its mouth. It attracts unsuspecting fish that are like, ooh, glowy, shiny, and it gobbles them up. But why is the tip so glowy, shiny, you ask? And I did too. 
I had no idea. I thought maybe it was just a part of the anglerfish itself, but it turns out that it's not. It's actually a large number of bioluminescent bacteria. This bacteria is called a symbiont because it has a symbiotic relationship with the anglerfish. It's a species of bacteria that needs a host to live, aka it can't survive on its own. The bacteria is capable of producing a glow on its own, but the anglerfish needs this bacteria in order to catch food. So really, they have a symbiotic relationship. They need each other. The fish provides a safe home for the bacteria, and the bacteria provides a bioluminescence to help catch prey. The tip where this bacteria lives on, on this fishing lure, is called an esca. The word esca is derived from Latin, and it quite literally means bait. So it is glowy bacteria bait. The males are a different story. In anglerfish, the males barely reach half an inch, and they're parasitic. How does this beautiful love story begin, you may ask? Well, it all starts with a lonely anglerfish male swimming in the deep ocean. No fish to be seen for miles and miles until he sees his pretty female anglerfish with her glowy esca, and he's like, she is a gorgeous, beautiful lady. I must bite her. So he swims up, bites her on the side with his sharp teeth, and hangs there. Hangs there for so long that his face fuses with her flesh. His skin connects with hers. Their bloodstreams fuse together. He loses his eyes, internal organs, and basically becomes just a pair of dangling gonads, there to give her his seed whenever she wants to have little baby anglerfish. Sounds so, so romantic to me. With a huge ocean and not many anglerfish to be seen, how many males can one female have? When it comes to the female anglerfish, she is quite a player, let me tell you, because the female anglerfish can carry six or more males on her body. That's a lot of baggage. Why do males attach to the female? It's really hard to find a partner in the deep, dark depths of the ocean. There's no anglerfish hinge or tinder. There's no social meetup areas. And really, it's pretty dark down there. It's hard to find a mate. When a male anglerfish finds his lady, he's not letting her go. Something that I was really curious about is why when the male anglerfish connects with the female anglerfish, there's no immune response. The immune system is really good at attacking things it sees as foreign, things that don't belong. It's like, hey, you're not a part of this body. Get out of here. Exene. The human body will sometimes reject organ transplants, and when you get a transplant such as a heart, a liver, a kidney, those lists are so long, you want to keep it. So humans take immunosuppressive drugs after surgery to prevent losing any precious organs they have recently obtained. But when it comes to the anglerfish, they are missing a key immune system gene. All other vertebrates have some form of adaptive immunity. They have white blood cells, T and B cells, that protect the body by recognizing foreign pathogens and producing specific antibodies against them. They're like, hey, we got your back. This thing doesn't belong. We're going to create an army of blood cells that make sure you are in tip-top condition. Anglerfish, however, will trade an adaptive immunity for reproductive success because they're not seeing any guys that often, and they're making sure their precious males don't go awry or get disconnected from them. It is a love that cannot be broken. How dare you try to separate these anglerfish? Not on my watch, says the anglerfish's immunity. 
species of anglerfish where the males are permanently attached to the female, they don't have something called a RAG gene, which is needed to assemble T-cell receptors. So basically, they don't have an ingredient that's needed to make these little soldiers that are supposed to protect their bodies from foreign invaders, such as an entire female anglerfish body, so they can stay with their love until eternity or until the female anglerfish ends up being preserved at a science museum like the one that I saw. It is still a mystery as to how the anglerfish defend themselves from other infections. Maybe they are at such depths that they don't have access to certain bacteria, but for some reason, anglerfish tend to be pretty okay when it comes to infections. Who needs little blood cell soldiers anyway? All right, so just like one of the commenters said in the beginning of this episode, why the heck do elephant seal males have those crazy noses? We are going to be talking about elephant seals because they are just blubbery seals of love. I feel like giving an elephant seal a hug would be like giving a giant water balloon a big squeeze, though it's not advised because they will definitely attack you. And you shouldn't approach wild animals anyway. What are you thinking? <laughs> The reason why an elephant seal is called an elephant seal is, no surprise, the trunk that's on their face. So it's a proboscis, aka nose. This proboscis elongates during a puberty. So imagine not only having your voice change, but having your nose grow like a big trunk. That is how the elephant seal do. And these flappy noses aren't just for looks, people. They are used to emit incredibly loud roars, especially during mating season. That's how they let the other lady elephant seals know what is up. I listened to the sound of an elephant seal roar, and it's not really a roar. It's more of like a fleshy, whoopee cushion grunt. It, it's hilarious. Insert sound of elephant seal roar right here. <laughs> it's kind of like a flappy, a flappy growl. Uh, it's so cute. So only males have these proboscises. Males are also 10 times bigger than the female. 10 times bigger! That would make for one awkward prom photo. <laughs> I can imagine it now. How would she put the corsage on him? She wouldn't be able to reach. These hefty elephant seal males get to be around 14 to 16 feet or 4 to 5 meters long. They weigh up to 5,000 pounds or 2,300 kilograms. Females are much tinier. They are around 9 to 12 feet, which is 2.5 to 4 meters. They weigh around 900 to 1,800 pounds or 400 to 800 kilograms. So Although they themselves are also quite large compared to us, they are a lot smaller than the huge, hefty elephant seal males. The elephant seal basically has all other seals beat with sexual dimorphism. They are the crowned winners. All right, so we know that with Birds of Paradise, the males are more quote-unquote pretty, and with the elephant seal, males are larger. Are there any other examples in the animal kingdom where the females have something going for them? Don't worry, I'm not leaving the girls hanging. There are bird species where the female is bigger than the male, and it's in a bird group you would absolutely not expect. I'm talking birds of prey, falcons, eagles, owls, hawks, how cool is that? The bird species we see as the most B.A., tough and ready to rumble, 
The bigger ones are the females. Bet you didn't see that coming. It's called reversed size dimorphism. Here's an example. You know those gorgeous peregrine falcons? Beautiful plumage where they have the spots on their chest, those really fierce eyes, that hooked beak. They can dive bomb like no other. Females are normally around two pounds. The male is one third less than that. So he's significantly smaller. It is because of this very reason that falconers will call male peregrines tiersels, which comes from the Latin word third. It kind of sounds like a mean nickname, like, hey, 30, <laughs> you know, hey, you're only one third the size of your female, so we're going to call you third. Anyway, it's a name that has apparently stuck. So why are female birds of prey larger? A lot of males in the animal kingdom tend to take the role of the larger of the two. So why is it different in birds of prey? When I was doing research, it was kind of saying that no one really knows why this disparity exists. But it's thought that females need to be larger because they need to accumulate reserves in order to produce eggs. While the females are incubating their eggs and taking care of their young, they don't forage for a substantial period of time. They're like, hey, I got bigger fish to fry. Or in this case, I have bigger hairs to swallow whole. <laughs> They're taking care of their babies. Also, during the time when they're watching their young and protecting their eggs, they're also protecting them from predators like raccoons, crows, and other raptors. So a bigger mama means a bigger bodyguard. And look, daddy's not completely out of the picture. It's usually the male that goes out hunting for food while the female is incubating or watching the eggs. And smaller prey is easier to come by and easier to capture. So it makes sense that the male is the one that's smaller because he's going after smaller prey. In the same vein, it benefits a species if the male and female aren't competing for prey. So a female will usually go for larger animals such as rabbits and squirrels, and the smaller male will go for mice or other smaller, easier to catch prey. In the case of birds of prey, Let's leave the big game hunting for the females, shall we? All right, so I had to have more examples of these females that are just dominating the size game. And there are actually more species than you would think where the female is larger than the male. And the animal that I found did not disappoint. It is the biggest animal on Earth. It lurks in our oceans, beautiful, majestic. I'm, of course, talking about the baleen whale. They are the biggest animal on this planet, and the biggest of them is female. Baleen whale females are about 5% larger than males, and they need this bigger size for nursing their offspring, especially during the winter when they need to have those extra fat reserves to make sure that mama and baby get all the nutrients they need. And get this, all the size record holders for blue whales are female, Maybe not surprising because I just said females were bigger, but I looked up the longest blue whale and the title goes to a female that measured 110 feet, 17 inches or 33.58 meters. That's a big mama. Females are also larger in species that have large litters such as bats and rabbits. Just like the big mama baleen whale, these animals need to have milk for their babies, and there's more energy reserves in a larger size. Species where females produce hundreds and thousands of eggs tend to have bigger females, such as fish, reptiles, and other insects. When it boils down to it, 
eggs are bigger than sperm, so the female has to be larger to make enough of them. All this talk about sexual dimorphism in other species made me reflect upon myself, my own species, humans. Are we considered sexually dimorphic? The answer is yes, but not as much as other primates. Humans are commonly considered monomorphic, which means there's not really a difference in the sexes, unfortunately. And I say unfortunately because imagine a world where males have majestic, beautiful plumage. Hey, if that was the case, I might just watch them for five or six hours a day as well. Plus, I might take a little bit less time to get ready in the morning. Let the men take my nine-step face nighttime routine for a spin. Though, I do like my serums. Okay, but how are males and females different in humans? Males are typically 15% larger than females. Also, females have breasts, beautiful bosoms. Other primates such as orangutans are very, very different from their female counterparts. Males could weigh around 200 plus pounds, while the females weigh one third or one half of that. Plus, the orangutan males have those marvelous cheek pads. It's said that the reason why the males have this is because it shows dominance and females find them attractive. I could just picture an orangutan female being like, did you see the cheek flaps on that guy? That's the guy I want to mate with. I guess every species has their type. All right, that about wraps up our episode. Thank you so much for joining me on one of my favorite subjects, sexual dimorphism. Ugh, I find it so fascinating. I continue to research it to this day. It's just so cool to me that one species can have totally different animals inside of it. Males, females, they look like they could be a part of their own species altogether, especially with the anglerfish. Oh, side note, did you know that scientists actually didn't think the male anglerfish existed at all? They only saw the female. They didn't even know that that tiny little guy was an anglerfish until they saw him fused to her body and decided to dig a little further, aka dissect it and be like, hey, this is a little dude. This isn't just a flap of skin. Fascinating. It just blows my mind. If you have a spark of curiosity, share it with me. You can email me, you can DM me, call me, beat me if you want to reach me. I want to know what makes you curious because it really adds to these episodes. I usually put out something on my story that hints at what the next episode will be. And I look at what you guys say for inspiration for the episode. Things that I'm like, hey, I want to add that. So I'll usually put it on my story or you can email me and it'll spark curiosity that way. It's really a collaboration of curiosity. We're all in this together. Also, this is a brand spanking new podcast. So if you have a friend that would find this interesting, please share. Let's get this train of knowledge going. Tell your friends, tell your family. I kind of like to see this podcast as the weird conversations that you can bring up at a dinner party or your friend's birthday or maybe even a first date. Make your date glad they swiped left because now they have a lot of random facts about anglerfish and birds. Anyway, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. I am so excited to see what next episode will have in store. Thank you for listening to Little Curiosities. I'm your host, Kendall Long. Until next time. Little Curiosities with Kendall Long is a Q-Code production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse. Edited by Will Tendy. Music by Kendall Long and Will Tendy. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? 
Well, we dove deep into the Empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale, it's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. I'm Carlos King, one of the most sought-after executive producers in reality television. I am thrilled to announce Reality with the King, where we'll discuss all things reality TV. I have interviewed everyone from Nene Leakes, Teresa Judice, and Kenya Moore. Each episode, we will rehash shocking betrayals, honey. Yes! Hilarious shade. And all the drama. Reality with the King podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts.